Amen. So today you can, I guess, that you've gathered this by now, but there is an under, underlying theme really to what we've been speaking about, and that is unity. Unity. And I really believe, and I believe I have confirmation on this, that uh, that is what the Lord would speak into this morning. And it's what the Lord is, is looking to, to remind us of this morning. And the title of the message is As One. As One. Because that's how He wants us to live. As One. I'm just going to ask you to bring up our vision statement again, yeah? Notice right at the outset, it says, to be a worshipping community. To be a worshipping community. In other words, a common unity. Okay? A unity. A united people. We're united, but we've got something in common. <coughs> Actually, we've got someone in common. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. To be a worshipping community in the heart of Kings Winford. So that's what we're talking about when we're assembling together. We come together. Please do not look or, or, or neglect the coming together, the assembling together of the saints. Please do not despise it in any way, no matter what some people may say. You know, some do not understand the importance, the significance of drawing together, of assembling together, and yet it's a scriptural instruction. Okay? So we need to be a worshiping community in the heart of things which is where we assemble. However, look at the rest of the vision where every hope is an expression of the kingdom. That is what we want to see. That is what the life groups are about, friends. It's not just about gathering together during the week to have another assembly. It's that the homes, our homes, become an expression of the kingdom of God. And then we go down even further, we say every home is an expression of the kingdom and every believer a disciple of the king. Individuals, every individual believer is a disciple of the king, not a follower, a mere follower. You know, not a spectator, but a disciple of the king. And that's the vision because that was Christ's vision. That was his vision. He was going to build his church, and what would that look like? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, didn't he? Go and make disciples of all nations. And so we're commanded to go and make disciples, we're, we're, we're to be disciples, and we're commanded to go and make disciples. And for all our busyness in the church, if we're not doing that, then we're not fulfilling the mandate. As good as the other things might be that we do, if we're not fulfilling that mandate, then we're being disobedient, aren't we, to the, the call? Aren't we? Go and make disciples of all nations. So we're called to be a disciple, we're called to make disciples. And that's what we want to see. To be a worshiping community, at the heart of the community, where every hope is an expression of the kingdom, and every believer a disciple of the king. To be a worshipping community. Let's open our Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I'll try to go just for about an hour and a half this morning. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. 
Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And perhaps now you understand the reasoning behind my title, As One. As One. The emphasis there is on the word one. One. Or we could say united, being united. We need to be as one. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit. Father, we just want to say thank you for your word. And we just pray right now, Lord, as we come and we just delve deeper into your word. Lord, we're not here just to gain some knowledge. Lord, we want to be challenged. We want to be challenged. We want to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us, Lord. That you bring about your change in our hearts and our lives, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Have your way, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless the Lord. Wonderful letter, the letter to the Ephesians. We see that Paul was in Rome. He considers himself a prisoner, not of the Romans. What does he say? He says, There I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. The prisoner of the Lord. Beseech you, I urge you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Lord, I've prayed for you. I've spoken with you. Now I, I urge you to put these things into practice. I urge you to live the life. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm, I'm restricted. In, I'm here in Rome, but I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm in chains for the Lord. But this is what I say to you, Ephesians, disciples of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And the letter to the Ephesians, as I've said, it's a wonderful letter. It speaks about the mystery of the church, doesn't it? We've actually given a, a Bible study on, on Ephesians here. I think most of it was done over Zoom at the time. But it speaks about the mystery of the church. And when it's talking about the mystery of the church, friends, again, it's not a Sherlock Holmes mystery. It's a mystery in the sense that there were things that were not revealed during the days of the Old Testament that are now revealed in this age that we live in, in the church age. What was one of those things, one of those mysteries that were not revealed in the days of the Old Testament but are revealed today? Jew and Gentile together in Messiah. One body, two different ethnic groups, Jew and Gentile. Anybody Jewish here today? Anybody know that they're Jewish? Jewish background? No? Surprising. Usually there's somebody who's found out they've got some Jewish lineage somewhere. Anyway, maybe you'll find out. Not that that might show you better at all. But the whole point of 
that's the whole point of the letter really. Jew and Gentile together in Messiah, two different ethnicities coming together in one. In one body, in the body of Christ. But that always presents difficulties, doesn't it? Well, you've got different cultural backgrounds sometimes. You've got two very different groups, different mindsets. We know in the body of Christ there is diversity. We need to have unity, but that doesn't mean uniformity. Okay? There's diversity. Diverse people, diverse giftings and thinking and everything else, but we come together to be united as one. Well, let me tell you that being united, becoming one in Christ, there is power and there is strength in that. I was reading, I'm reading a lot, you know, like the ancient world, you know, the classical world, Greek, Greco Roman world. And I was reading about the Spartans, and we watched the Spartans. They were a unique people, you know, the Spartans. They, they, were, they were really tough guys, these, these Spartan warriors. But um, I was reading about the, the ancient Greeks, how they would go to war. And they would take quite a large shield in their left hand. And they would hold a spear in their right hand. And if you've seen that, when you come together, I mean, you can imagine that coming towards you. You know? It's called a phalanx. And you know you are fully dependent on the person on your right hand to protect you. Because the shield is in your left hand. It's not about you, it's about him. You understand? So they lock shields and they'll march together as one. If for any reason your enemy is able to break through, it compromises the security of the whole group. Do you understand that, friends? Let me tell you something that is the same in the church. We're called to be united. And that is exactly what our enemy will go after. That is exactly what he will try to do to, to cause chaos within the ranks, so to speak. Why? Jesus says in Mark 3, verse 25 to 26, if a house is divided against itself, such a house cannot stand. A house is divided against itself, such a house cannot stand. Friends, it's, it's, it's a test for us, it's difficult for us, because, well, like I said, we're all diverse people, aren't we? We've got different mindsets and different ways of doing things. We act differently. And yet we've come together as one, we've come together as a worshipping community, a common unity. We have Jesus in common, and yet we're different, each one of us. And we're unique, each one of us. Well, let me tell you, in order to maintain, and the Bible says that we need to endeavour, as you say here, uh, keep the unity, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavouring, doing everything you can to maintain, notice, not establish, but maintain the unity. There's already a unity there. The fact that you are one, you're in the body of Christ, means you become one with your brother and sister, you become one in Christ. Amen? Endeavouring. In other words, you've got to do what you need to do to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Each one of us, every single one of us has our own, our own responsibility to maintain that unity. As we read earlier on Psalm 133 verse 1, how good this is God speaking, how, God, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is. That's what the Lord wants to see. Unity. 
That doesn't mean to say there won't be problems, friends. That does not mean to say that there won't be differences. One of the things we've got to learn to do in the society we live in today, again, is how to learn to disagree. Yes? And yet respect one another. And that needs to happen within the church as well. You know, often the enemy takes advantage of our immaturity. He'll take advantage of our immaturity so that he can come in and he can sow discord in the ranks, let's say. He can sow discord in the church. He does his utmost. Because he wants to destroy that which God has generated. And so Paul here, under the influence, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he speaks about four characteristics that we need to establish. We need to see established in our life. He says... You want to walk worthy of the calling which, which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Let's have a look at these characteristics. Number one, lowliness. What on earth is lowliness? Another word for lowliness is humility. Humility. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know the very fact that Jesus, God the Son, laid aside all the rights and privileges of his, of his deity. Okay? Not that he laid aside his deity. I've said it so many times. He laid aside all the privileges and, and, and rights of being God. He didn't grasp them. He didn't hold on to them and seize them. And he humbled himself. Taking upon himself the form of a man. Taking upon himself flesh. And being obedient even to the point of death. And just remember his death. Humiliate, total humiliation of the creator. At the hands of the creator. The created. What? I mean, goodness, we have humility. That he would humble himself. That the son of man did not come to be served. But to serve and give his life a ransom for the man. Wow. That's awesome, isn't it? The ancient world, they despised humility. The Greeks used a similar word, I'm going to say it, try to say it, related, that was related to the servitude of slavery. They saw humility as slavery. Indignity. Remember, slaves in the ancient world had no rights. To be walked, somebody to be walked all over. It was weakness. They, they interpreted humility as weakness. I would suggest to you this morning that the kingdom of God works in a completely different way. The mentality in the kingdom of God is completely different. And actually we're commanded to be humble. We need to put upon ourselves humility. Humility begins with a mind. What we think about ourselves, how we think about ourselves, what we say about ourselves, the knowledge of who we are. We need to see ourselves for who we truly are. And that means without Him and with Him. You understand that this morning? And we've said it and we've just, we've looked at an, uh, uh, an example from the Old Testament of Samson. Who had a bit of a rude awakening, who had an encounter with himself, with, it, with the, the person he truly was on the inside. We've got this, this custom in today's society that we need to be telling each other how wonderful we are and how marvellous we are and you need to be feeling good about yourself all the time. 
There is a place for that, of course. Encouragement is necessary, of course. But the truth is, the Bible says, what the Bible starts saying about us before it shares with us the good news, it shares with us the bad news, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin, the salary of sin, is death. Is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes? Amen. Praise God. So we must see ourselves as we are. The fact is that if we're anything, we're only anything because of the grace of God. Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly, not himself, more highly than he ought to think. That's where the problem started. The truth be told. That's where the problem starts. The root of the problem is human pride. It's pride. And the opposite to that, obviously, is humility. And the trouble is we tend to compare ourselves with each other, don't we? We compare ourselves with one another because sometimes we can see the faults in others and it makes us feel better about ourselves. But actually, we've said this many times before, if you want to compare yourself to anyone, it needs to be to these standards. And these standards is Jesus of Nazareth, God in flesh. And every time that you compare yourself to that standard, friends, you will come up short. You realize just how far, how far short you have fallen. And you know what that does? It drives you to your knees, doesn't it? And it says, Lord, oh, change me. My God, I don't want to this. I don't want to say that. I don't want to think like this. I don't want to feel like this. I need to change. I want to become like you, more like you. Compare ourselves with one standard, Christ. Christ is the standard. But pray, oh, I just thank God that you know when we do that, and we come before Him, and we put these things before Him, we recognize our faults before Him, I thank God that He is patient. I thank God that He's merciful, that He's kind, and He's loving. And I thank God that He's not there ready to beat you. You know, He's not about condemnation. He said he's ready to do a work in your heart. Humility. Humility, friends. That is the key. Humility. Pride. John Stott says, pride lurks behind all discord. Humility comes when we have a clear perspective of ourselves in the light of who he is. Yes. Humility leads us to be open to criticism when we are called out by someone. You see, usually it's the opposite, isn't it? When somebody calls you out on something, we want to defend such ways away, we want to defend ourselves. It's hard to stop, to listen to something. Don't get me wrong, you don't need to be very careful. There are those who would go out on purpose to harm you. But there's also constructive criticism. Yes? We need to listen. We need to stop. We need to consider what's being said and ask the question. Are they right? It's easy for me to say, friends. It's hard to live, isn't it? comes when we're out to criticism, when we're called out by someone. Humility allows us to forfeit our rights, <coughs> let go of offences for the greater cause. To understand there's a bigger picture. To understand the unity of the body of Christ is more important than whether our upset or not. But we don't make us. We carry these upsets up and we carry these offences away. And we need to let go of these things in our hearts, friends. Humility helps us to accept when we are in the wrong and even apologize. Again, easily said, isn't it? Not so easily done. 
Humility keeps our motivations in check when we're dealing with others who have failed. It gets us to look at ourselves first. Humility is key to unity in the body of Christ. Humility. Lord, be careful what you pray. Be careful what you pray. Lord, I can't even say it, but be careful because you know, the thing is we pray for these things, Lord, make me more like you. And then when he brings that person along, who is the tool in his hand to shape him, yes. Training and taming. Yes? 
Proverbs 12, verse 16 says, Fools show their annoyance at once. Usually that's me. I don't know about you. Do you tend to show your annoyance at once? Well, welcome to the club, because the Bible calls us fools. Fools show their annoyance at once. But the prudent overlook an insult. Oh, God help. Help us. No. The prudent. Oh, I want to be prudent as well. We need to subject our feelings, our instincts, our passions, etc. to the control of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what it's about. It's about bringing these things under control. They're there. You can't deny them. They're there, aren't they? And occasionally when something happens, it's like a red rag to a bull. Red rag red to a bull. You know, there's something that, that the spirit of the bull comes out. Somebody says something, somebody does something, and the spirit ball manifests. You launch yourself into it, and then you feel bad about it later. You really know what I'm talking about this morning? But actually, as the Holy Spirit is working gentleness in us, what will happen is, as we seek after the Lord for this gentleness, with time, and with plenty of opportunities, I'm sure, that these passions, these things that usually take a hold of you, you start to take a hold of and control. Yes. Something that word that would usually come out of your mouth, you, it stops right there in the lips here. And you think later, you think, thank the Lord I never said that. Yes? It's about subjecting our feelings to the control of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was gentle. Moses was gentle or meek. Yes? Moses was meek. Think about all the opportunities he had. Yes, he made mistakes. But the Word of God describes him as a meek man. Think about some of the, the ways that he dealt with rebellion against himself. By his own sister, his own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam, at one point, closest to him. You know, the higher echelon in leadership of the nation who was rebellion that broke out. And yet he dealt with it in meekness. Praise God. Number three, what does he say? With long suffering. Long suffering. Really like that. <laughs> long suffering. Oh Lord, the next time you're praying for the Lord to bless you, Lord, bless me with the big house, bless me with the nice car, bless me with I know you don't pray those prayers. With long suffering, Lord. Did you tell me you not pray that prayer? Yeah. Long suffering. What does that mean? Number one, it means persistence. Persistence. It talks about the person who will not be broken by disappointments and sufferings, etc. Remember that the context here is speaking about relationships in the body of Christ. And there's also plenty of opportunities, aren't there? To be disappointed with somebody. Yes? To carry these offences, but we need to let go of them, don't we? And it's the person who persists. Think about the Romans again. The Romans have never made peace under defeat. You know that? They wouldn't accept defeat. British armies are a little bit like that as well. We did what we call a tactical withdrawal. Not a retreat. It's a tactical withdrawal. Sometimes we need to tactically withdraw ourselves from some of the arguments that go on, yes. War is made up of several battles. Some won, others lost. But it's necessary to persist until the end to win the war. Yeah? So you've got to have that persistence, long suffering. 
Of course, that, that applies to all areas of our life, all the things that we go through. That's the person who refuses to give up. That's the person, regardless of how many people have hurt you, regardless of how many people have come up against you, regardless of like, all oh, those who have slandered you, that you keep going, that you keep forgiving, that you keep loving, and so on and so forth. You just keep going. That's what God wants to develop in you, friends. He talks about persistence. Another word we use is patience. John Chrysostom, which was one of the early church fathers, he said this, he said, The spirit which has the power, it is the spirit which has the power to take revenge, but never does. He has the spirit, the spirit that has the power to take revenge, but never does. Let me read you something that William Barclay said, the, the Bible commentator, he said this, and he calls it an imperfect analogy, but it helps. It is often possible to see a puppy and a very large dog together. The puppy yaps at the big dog, worries him, bites him, and all the time the big dog, who could annihilate the puppy with one snap of his teeth, bears the puppy's impertinence with a forbearing dignity. Just see that's a new dog with us. You've got those puppies running around, biting them, irritating and making an annoyance of himself, yes? My goodness me. And any moment that dog could just lose him. And it doesn't. Well, it's something like that for us too, friends. That's the long suffering that we need to seek for from the Lord. In order, the whole point is that we might maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what, it's not much to ask for, is it? <laughs> the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 My little children, for whom I labour in birth again. Will he give them birth here? Paul. We can't say that, Paul. 
However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. The great Apostle Paul, he recognised because of his own shortfallings, because of his own failings in his character, yes, that God Almighty needed to show great long-suffering towards him. But notice what the division, notice the, the, how he saw himself. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He knew his place. Oh, you can't have that negative thinking. Well, friends, we've got to start there, at least. We've got to start there. Because if we don't start there, we haven't understood the good news. Thank God, you know, that... that, that he loves us enough to reach us at that point. But as we've heard many, many times, He loves us too much to leave us at that point. And to change us. Praise God. Maybe we need to seek to be more patient and long-suffering in our own relationships with one another. Finally, what does He say? Keep saying finally. <laughs> okay, long-suffering. Bearing. Bearing with one another. In love. Bearing with one another. In love. What does it mean to bear with one another? It means literally to put up with one another. I was looking and hoping for a better interpretation. Something, you know, better, something different. But it exactly said putting up with one another. <laughs> You're all sitting there and you think about people you He knew, he could 
could see the passion in their hearts. He could see where they were getting wrong. And he had to bear, he had to, it took time, it took patience, it took long suffering. He had to listen to stupidity sometimes. Arguing who's going to be the greatest. Is it the right answer? Is it the left answer? That's the bad culture you need to say. You haven't got a clue what you're after, you know. I'm just thinking some of the, some of the things that we had to listen to, the immaturity and so on is the same. For us, Colossians 3 verse 12 to 14 says, Therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Just that. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you had a, has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. That's what love looks like. Yeah? Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's the Apostle Paul speaking to the Colossians. In love. The love, we know that word love, we often refer to it as the love of God, agape. Nothing that a brother does will lead me to harm him. Nothing that someone does against me will lead me to harm him on purpose. Sometimes you harm people you don't mean it, do you? You know, the Bible says we've got to live at peace with one another. As much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on me, we've got to live at peace with one another. Unfortunately, it doesn't always depend on, on one of us. It depends on two of us. Do you know? Regardless of failures, I will always be seeking the best for my brother or my sister. And that's the love of God or the love of God. Mm. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, humility, and gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, persistence, and patience, bearing with one another, putting up with one another, those things that irritate me, and so on, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, endeavouring, making every effort, making everything, every effort, doing all you can, Letting go of the fences, you know, letting things go, that the unity of the Spirit might be maintained in the bond of peace. Why? Because it's based on the unity of God. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One, as one, as one. Amen. Praise God. Yep. Friends, you know, we could, we could do an altar call here and so on. But really, it's what you're going to do now. As you go out these doors, it's what I'm going to do. How is this going to motivate you in your prayer life? You know, how is it going to stir your, your desire before God to become right? What is it that he's shown you this morning through what we've heard that needs to change you? What is it that you need to seek him over that you might become more like him? Only you can answer that. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit's highlighted things this morning to you as it's done to you. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you, you're a loving God. Lord, you, you, you love to be together. You love us to assemble together. You love the unity.
And Lord, we know that, that there are times when the enemy Lord, will take advantage of our immaturity, of our weaknesses, Father, and that the flaws in our character, Lord, that need to be dealt with. Lord, to try and bring discord and, and break that unity, that sense of family. Father, help us, every single one of us, Lord, help us to change. Change us. Drive us to our knees, Lord, that we might seek you for that change. Help us not to reject, Father, the, the, the means that you use to bring that about, Father. Help us to be giving thanks all the way.